You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. From inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths. I am alone if I just simply look around to my left and to my right, but right in front of me via the power of uh, the internet and, of course, the Beach Grove hamster and Wi-Fi, we welcome in Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins as well. Uh, as we get you set for the Colts and Titans, uh, it's always the big game because it's the next game, chap, but in this case, it's a big game because it's the Titans yet again, and the Colts' path to the top of the division doesn't end with a loss here, but it certainly gets a whole lot tougher if you cannot be above 500 in the AFC South, and they need to win this week in Tennessee to make that happen. All roads go through Nashville. They do. Yeah, I went back and looked. We can talk later on, but uh, in the history of the AFC South, only one time had the Colts been 3-3 three and three in the division and won the division. That was their Super Bowl year. So, you know, you, you've got to – Take care of the division first and then see what happens. The Colts will take on the Titans on Sunday afternoon, broadcast here in central Indiana on CBS 4, 1 p.m. kickoff. We'll have an injury update right now, break down some keys to the game, make predictions, of course. Uh, our predictions, once again, uh, Dave is right, a- as per usual. Um, the, the only thing that, that all of us were wrong on, of course, was the the out uh, the, the uh, very ex- the explosive offenses. We both were... All of us were taking the under, and there were a lot of reasons to do so. But uh, finally, the Colts' offense found a little bit going. The Jaguars were keeping pace right there, obviously, and made it a very interesting fourth quarter. Um, but but nevertheless, uh, like I said, Dave is right. So you all have to keep listening to me uh, for our predictions at the end of this show uh, to see what's going to happen this weekend. I know you're all waiting with bated breath. But first, as I said, uh, we start with the news. And the news this week centers around a Colts opponent, not this weekend, but next weekend, but still some that has uh, some significant impact on the Colts franchise moving forward. And uh, harkens back to a young man who you all know and either love or hate, one or the other. There's really not too much in between. And that's that Carson Wentz is now going to miss the next four to six weeks in Washington after breaking his finger and uh, needing surgery. Uh, he played most of the game or a good portion of the game last week on Thursday night uh, with a broken finger and led the commanders to a thrilling 12 to seven victory over the Chicago bears. But this is relevant for the Colts, whether you hate Carson or you love him because just like the trade with the Eagles for Carson Wentz to bring him here to Indianapolis, the trade to send him away to Washington came with a stipulation and that stipulation is if Carson Wentz plays over 70% of the offensive snaps for the Commanders this year, the Colts get the Commanders' second-round pick in next year's draft. If he plays under 70% of the snaps, then the Colts get the Commanders' third-round pick next year. Chat, the difference between a second- and third-round pick is certainly significant, um, and Chris Ballard has made his hay in the past in the second round. He often has talked about the importance of that round. So it would be, I'm sure, ideal, uh, as I say, cracking a smile to, to get that second round pick. But this four to six week timeline is uh, right in the middle of whether he's going to hit that 70% mark or not. Yeah, I think roughly it's like four and a half or five games if you miss, depending on how the, the snaps in the games play out. So it's really going to be close. 
it, 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 it is a big deal. A two and a three is a big deal because by all accounts, they're, they're, you know, they're going to have a bad season, so they're going to be picking at the top of the round. So that second-round pick is going to be a choice pick. Uh, it, it's just crazy how you know we went through this last year with Wentz in, in, in his playtime, and then this year, again, missing four or five – four games you might be able to get that second-round pick. Five games might make it pretty difficult. Yeah, the the specific if if every game they had the exact same number of snaps, which obviously they don't, like it it would be right around five. Like that is really the breaking point because you play seventeen games, so every game comes out to just under six percent uh, of an NFL season. So if he only misses four weeks, then you're you will probably be okay. If he misses five, it is very much 50-50. If he misses six, then you're really, really hoping that, that Washington goes three and out on every single possession over the next four or six weeks. So, Joe, that, that's something else that Colts fans can cheer for right now is the uh, commander's offense to, uh, to not be successful. And, heck, they're going to get the chance to, to kind of uh, contribute to that as well, uh, Chap, when uh, they're going to get the chance to contribute to um, – to, what Washington's offense can do because heck they're going to be here in just a couple weeks. And so the Washington defense uh, is going to be put, um, I mean, the, the Colts defense is going to be put up against that Washington offense. Yeah. We, we were sort of joking that, that would the Colts have a, a, you know, a welcome back video for Carson Wentz of that game. I guess they can kind of put that in, in the file, but uh, it's just crazy. And we, this is not the, the, the nature of our podcast, but, it's amazing to me how Carson Wentz is a is a magnet for negative energy. It just is, whether it was in Philly, whether it's here or or in Washington. So it's kind of crazy, but that's kind of the that's going to be the narrative until he finds a way to uh, to change it. It appears Joe is uh, not able to join us for the rest of the show today. He, he made a, a tremendous contribution here at the beginning, but, uh, but unfortunately uh, can't keep up. Uh, chap, the, uh, the, the Beach Grove hamster is well fed, and it will be you and me until the finish line here. Never criticize the Beach Grove hamster. I, I never will again. Hey, second point of news uh, that also is uh, very much in uh, <laughs> linking the Colts and Commanders together uh, came from the fall owners meeting as Jim Ursay. Uh, made a statement in front of the media there uh, saying that uh, there is, quote, merit, end quote, to removing Snyder as owner of the commanders. Uh, Chap, this is a very, obviously a very delicate scenario for owners, and it's very rare to see one speak out against another in such a fashion. So what was your reaction when you first saw or heard or read the uh, what what Jim Ursay said here uh, at these owners' meetings in regard to Daniel Snyder and his ownership of the Commanders. Whatever the phrase is, it was calculated. Uh, so many times I've been to these owners' meetings, and what you find yourself doing is chasing owners down the hallway. Hey, you got a minute? You got a minute? This was a case where what I was told, he, he sort of sought out the group of reporters. They're over in a group, and he leaves the room and kind of walks right over to them. And no one really knew what was going on, but he, they started talking in generalities. And then he finally, the, the, the Washington situation came up and he sort of unloaded. And like you said, it's very rare. I can't think of hardly any time 
that another owner has has taken on one of his colleagues so directly. Uh, I think there's a lot of times that owners privately or internally go at it, but not in public. And for for one owner to say that, you know, we'll see what the thorough investigation is. But in my you know my initial reaction is he needs to be removed. That's pretty extreme, and it, it's. Jimmy, from the years that I've known him, from dating all the way back into the mid-80s, it sounds cliche when other people address it, but he's all about protecting the shield, the cold shield and the NFL shield. He forever has steered his actions by falling back to the things he's learned from the Hallis family, the Myras, the Roonies, the Hunts. And he believes that. It, 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 he believes that at his core. And he sees what's going on in Washington, what ha- has gone on in Washington, as an affront to everything that what the league stands for. And he mentioned how he's got three daughters and seven granddaughters, and, and the workplace is very sacred to him. So the only thing that I'm not sure about, maybe maybe this was Jimmy just saying, you know, I've had enough and I'm not going to take it anymore quietly. Or was he the point man of a handful of owners who, who said, you know, instead of having us all come out there and pile on, you know, Jimmy, why don't you go out and say what you say and we'll sort of let your words speak. I don't know. But it was very clear that this was this was high on his mind and, and he was going to bring this up some form or fashion at the owners' meetings and We'll see where it goes, and, and, and again, it's just so rare for an owner to to attack, uh, to, to go after another owner. And one thing that was really interesting is I remember the, the ESPN article where, where it was reported that Snyder's been, been compiling dirt on other owners and Goodell, and somebody mentioned that to Jimmy. He said, bring it on. He said, you can investigate me until the cows come home. You know, and, and Jimmy's he's had problems and they're 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 very public and very well documented. And maybe he part of it is he felt, you know, he, he's sort of invulnerable to whatever Snyder can say, but at the core that this is something that, that he really believed in and he let everyone know how he believes. Chap, I think every time that, that Jim Ursay speaks, I, I I view it in a certain lens that is in a way different than any other owner out there. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here because you've covered the league longer than I have. But uh, the quote that he says that stuck out to me is one that you kind of mentioned talking about the founders of the league taught me we have to protect the game. We have to protect what we're about. This isn't what we're about. Jim Ursay is a different owner than just about, if not every other owner out there because of his history in the NFL, because he was a GM. He came up on the football side. He cares very much about the league not just about his team and what many billionaires do who have more money than they know what to do with. They want to put that proverbial trophy up there on their mantle that they could look at and be proud of, and they own a sports franchise for that. They certainly make money over time. They grow in value, as all sports franchises uh, have in, in successful leagues, and the NFL is certainly one of them. But but that is not what the Indianapolis Colts are to Jim Ursay. He cares in my opinion, just from the, the little that I know him and, and even littler that I know of, of other NFL owners, he, he seems to be the person who cares more about the league, more about 
Um, like kind of what he was saying in this quote, not like what the league is about and protecting the league rather than having that beautiful, shiny thing to, um, to, to be proud of and to, to add to your, to add to your, um, your repertoire, so to speak. Do, do you agree? Do you disagree? No, I agree. Every owner or every CEO of every business, you have to be worried about your company because it's your company and that's how you make a living. That's your family's business. But, I think too many owners, that's where their 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 focus ends. It, it's what 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 can I do to help my franchise, my company? Well, the, but back in the day, and it's less and less because of the younger and different owners. It's about fewer fewer owners care about how it impacts the league. How does this better the league? And that's what Jim Jim Irsay is saying is. We're all in this together, folks, and, and if if we don't stay together and we don't do things to protect what we have, then what do we have? So, you know, yes, you take care of the Colts and you take care of the Rams and you take care of the Steelers, but on a higher level, you take care of the NFL. And people may not want to buy into that and they may think that's just kind of corny, but go go back again to the, to the, to the Roonies and the Maras and the Hunts and, and – you always had to have the league in your mind when you were making decisions, and that's where Jimmy's coming from. This is this is going to be a very interesting continuing story because obviously it's not finished yet, not even remo- remotely. But but like you mentioned, by other owners being more businessmen and having a business background, approaching something like this, even to to attempt to remove Dan Snyder as an owner, it it it, it strikes me that it could be a difficult vote, even it, even if. Uh, allegations come back that uh, shed some more negative light on the scenario because because they they do view it as that as as their they, each team is their thing and then if, if this is a commander's problem and they should have internal investigations or they should deal with it and and you you don't want to be part of like what how this other organization is, is run even if it's kind of in the broader organization of the NFL so so all that to say um, Jim Irsay is is one of like I don't know. 10 owners who, who talk to the media even like you, you there aren't 32 owners or 31 if you take out the Packers who are uh, who are community owned there but who, who speak with the media um, frequently or, or even infrequently like wh- when was the last time you heard somebody was saying this when was the last time you heard the owner of the Titans speak I you, you don't like you, you hear Jerry Jones talk you hear Dan Snyder you hear uh, you hear Jim Ursay. There are other. You hear Stan Kroenke. That name. You hear Arthur Blank in Atlanta. There, there are certain names that you know. Jeffrey Lurie in Philadelphia. But, but um, the the Mars, the Rooneys, like all, all these. Uh, that, that's that's a very small group. I mean, I was naming names there for a little bit, but when you get to 30, uh, 30 plus teams, uh, you, you just don't hear from everybody. So, so to get twenty four votes, which is what it would need to be, like I'm not saying it's impossible by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying it, it's it's hard for us, chap, to get an idea because we don't hear from everybody, and you can understand why businessmen would want to keep things internal and be like strictly adhering to their business. So, so, so we'll see at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and Ursa, someone would ask her say about, do you believe you have the votes? And he said he thinks that, at, again, after viewing, all, you know, you get all the information from these investigations, he said, I think we will have the votes. And one thing, again, and we're viewing this from afar, I, I go back to when there was all the controversy, and still is to a degree, over Deshaun Watson. Was it like 32 allegations or whatever, and 
I always took the approach that, okay, let, let's say that half of them were bogus. Just 16 were just bogus. Well, but that means 16 were. There was foundation for 16. So if, if let's say only 70% of what's been alleged with Snyder and the commanders is true, isn't that enough? I, I don't know. So we'll see, but it's, it's so difficult to get 24 people to agree to anything, let alone 24 owners who have their own axe to grind. They have their own thing to protect. Uh, I, th I think what we'll be telling is, again, I think there are more owners than what we might think that are in lockstep with Jim Irsay. They just are. They're just not either willing or, or ready to come out and, and, and add their voice to it. It's probably different when you get behind closed doors and you hold a, and you hold a vote, and you know 20, 24 owners raise their hands. It, it, it would be really, really interesting to take the old straw vote and see where you are right now with you know how, how many of these owners would, would vote for removal. Because you're talking, it's so drastic to tell an owner he has to sell his franchise. And you've got the votes to make him do it. Uh, so I'm really interested. This won't be resolved in the spring meetings or anytime soon. This is something, because again, remember the, the Washington team put out a, uh, a comment after what Jim Irsay said, and they basically said, we're not selling anything. You know, we don't think it was appropriate. We're not going anywhere. So this will not be resolved easily or quickly. So we, we're not going to resolve it here, so we're turning our attention back to the Colts now. And we'll, we'll talk about one more piece of news before we really get to this week's matchup, Chap, and that's something that broke over last weekend leading into the game against Jacksonville, and that is there is a new backup quarterback now uh, here in Indianapolis. The job no longer belongs to Nick Foles. It is Sam Ellinger's job to be number two behind Matt Ryan. Um, it, it happened at a time when the Colts' offense was struggling, hadn't scored 20, uh, 20 points yet this season. Uh, they certainly exploded last week, picked a great time to do it, um, but but having Ellinger there to to back up Ryan, um, what what Frank Reich has said is that you can put him in there for certain packages, and they had some. We talked to Ellinger in the locker room this week, said there were some packages that they had, they just never got to him. But but even if if you're not talking package, uh, the the backup quarterback is, is one play away from from being very the most important person on the field. And the Colts decided, Chap, that right now the, the best thing for their team at this moment is not to have the Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles be that guy, but to have Sam Ellinger be that guy. So he's number two behind Matt Ryan. Yeah, the, when Frank talked yesterday about well, it, was, it was schematic, and he's talking about those, those short yardage or goal line situations. That's fine. But like you said, you're one play away. And with the way that this uh, offensive line has performed, there have been more than enough chances for Matt Ryan to be hurt. So they have to be very comfortable with the idea that if Ryan goes down, Sam can, can do the job. Based on what, I don't know, because there is absolutely nothing. He, he was on the field for 18 snaps last year in three blowout wins. So, yes, he had a great pre he had a great preseason. He did. But it's different. Uh, maybe part of it is that with the way the lines play and they think that Ellinger's mobility gives him some 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 help. I don't know, but it just I I can't see this as 
well, we're going to light a fire under Matt Ryan's rear end that if he doesn't start playing. That's it. I mean, really? The guy's been in for 15, <laughs> been for 15 years. Part of this is they need to find out what they had with Sam Ellinger. They just do because they don't know. And we'll get into it as the season unfolds or in the offseason, but they've got to address their quarterback next year in the draft. They just have to. And they have to know if is Sam Ellinger, what if they found lightning in a bottle? You know, what what if he is that guy that just needs the opportunity? But they've got to find out. I thought maybe they would find out when the season goes south and in December they put him in there. I don't know. But it was just strange. And one thing that, that Frank sort of went out of his way to say is, hey, we still this, – this isn't the fact that Sam beat out Nick in practice because it's not – practices aren't structured that way. Uh, they just want to get a look at him. And, and Frank Reich did mention that Nick Foles didn't exactly take it real well, that he was upset about it, as he should be. But for right now, it's it's their one play away from Sam Ellinger being their quarterback. Yeah, um, I, I think it's, it's interesting saying, like, uh, what, what was it exactly? That, that they need to see what they have in Ellinger, but like, any any package they have right now is going to be, like you said, a short yardage scenario. They're not going to send him out for a drive when Matt Ryan is healthy, at least right now in the season when you're 3-2-1 and, and, and you're still uh, in contention. But, but it would be very interesting if you get to the end of the season and the Colts are out of it, what they decide to do then. Because like you said... Do, what what is Ellinger? Is he going to be a career backup in the NFL, or is he going to be uh, th- that next guy that is is the diamond in the rough late in the draft, taken in 1998, uh, taking over for a veteran guy like Drew Bledsoe there, and, and then never giving up? Like I, I'm, I, th- that's a one time scenario. I think in, in just it just seems like that in my life. You can't compare one to the other right now, especially when we haven't seen him play. But the, the, the time to see him is, is not right now. Uh, unless Matt Ryan goes down and gets hurt, I would not anticipate any type of this move leading toward any immediate uh, changes in the offense, unless it's for, like I said, one player uh, here and there to bring in Ellinger for, to, to change things up in short yardage scenario. But, but also, like you said, the offensive line has been leaky at best and Ellinger has the legs to avoid problems there so it was it was a it was a move that surprised me to be honest because if like for me if you wanted to bring in Ellinger to to be a to do that like you you add him to the 53 and I know that takes away a spot but I, I'm just surprised that they took Foles down last week too like that's going all in saying that Nick Foles is now inactive Ellinger is your number two and if if he does make it onto the field, then then you're going to ride or die with him no matter what. Yeah, unless they would go the – and, again, it's week to week. Remember, they were – we were in the Bernard Ryman stint at left tackle until we weren't – which lasted – Two for, series. Right. Two series. So it, everything's fluid. And, we, and we're always trying to press these guys on what's going on and how, what's the longevity of it. L- let's say they go out there Sunday and Ryan gets – dinged up, hurt, whatever, and Ellinger has to go in, and he plays okay. But maybe Ryan's going to miss a game or two. Well, then, of course, you're going to bring Foles up. But then would Foles start? You know, I guess I would rather have Foles starting in a meaningful game than Ellinger. But, it's again, it's just it's weird uh, what they're doing. But 
I know there's a faction with the Colts who really, really like Sam Ellinger. They like they like the thought of Sam Ellinger. I know Jim Irsay likes him. I know Chris Ballard's always been bullish on him. But it's one thing to be bullish on a guy, and it's something else to make him active, and he's your number two, and maybe he has to play more than what you think he's ready to play. It, it's really an interesting, interesting situation. The backup, or even then the backup backup quarterback, is sometimes the most popular guy in town. You because know? you don't Just, know. Because you don't exactly. know. Exactly. I mean, we've seen it in the preseason in the past. It was Stephen Morris. It was Swag Kelly. Uh, I mean, but but I think this is a bit different scenario from both of those guys. But nevertheless, nevertheless, always, always a, a popular gentleman. What does Hancock Health's membership in the Mayo Clinic Care Network mean for you? It means our independent health network now has access to the knowledge and resources of the world leader in medicine. It means your Hancock Health doctor can now consult with Mayo Clinic specialists to confirm a diagnosis or treatment plan. And means that together, we're making health possible for you. Learn more about our new clinical collaboration at HancockRegional.org, front slash Mayo Clinic. Let's get to the injury report as the Colts are set to take on the Titans this weekend in Tennessee, in Nashville. Ruled out already for the Colts, wide receiver Ashton Doolin, who's on injured reserve, has a foot injury. Beyond that, on Wednesday, there was a group of players who did not practice uh, five players in total. Three were just veteran rest days. Stephon Gilmore, Ryan Kelly, and Yannick Ngakwe. Beyond that, two more players did not participate in practice. Those were Quiddy Pay with his ankle injury, still not on the field, and Kiki Kuti with a concussion, did not participate. I think Kiki was back on the field today, Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. I think I saw that on Twitter before I came on for the fine folks who are out there. But it would just be in a limited role today, working his way through protocol. Limited on Wednesday, Jonathan Taylor, Shaquille Leonard, and Kylan Granson. I brush over Shaquille Leonard there, but but Shaquille has to get back onto the field. It's his first appearance back, chap. We saw him in the locker room on Wednesday, and then he has to make his way through concussion protocol before he can speak to the media. So we didn't speak to him on our regular Thursday uh, with him now, but but he he looks himself in the locker room. I mean, not not that people coming back from concussions when you get from limited to full like ever don't. I think from from the experience that I've had in the locker room with them, um, so. Uh, so, so nevertheless, a, a significant return to have Shaquille Leonard back on the practice field. And this is what the Colts were hoping for when they didn't put him on injured reserve after that broken nose concussion that would need a procedure there on, on his face in order to get him back on the field. Yeah, that's the thing is, that, you know, we, we, we wondered, why not IR the guys? He, he missed the Denver game right away. Then he missed this last week. And surely he's going to miss two other games because of the surgery. Well, maybe not the surgery in the nose. So very encouraging, and and he was out there during the media portion yesterday doing all the stuff the linebackers were doing, jumping around, bouncing around, hitting hitting the ground. So that's very encouraging. And one thing people need to realize too the the concussion right now probably the fractured nose is the main limitation physically because uh, he's had what has it been uh, two weeks with concussion. I think so. The, yeah, the Tennessee game it was a ten, yeah Tennessee game. Yeah, it was Tennessee. Yeah, so, so but he's got to go through protocol. So you can't go through complete the steps until you're back on the practice field, which includes practicing the day with a red jersey, and then no jersey, and then you're cleared. So, yeah, very encouraged. And again, I, I think you're right that this is why that they didn't do, do the IR. They they just felt it wouldn't if not this week then next week. 
and and also Naheem Hines is is not wearing the red jersey, which is which is a sign that he needs that one that one more practice, which probably was yesterday, and then get the independent neurologist. So they're sort of getting healthy at the right time. Yeah, uh, Naheem Hines, a full participant Wednesday, as was Dion Jackson with a quad and a safety Julian Blackman with his ankle. Blackman did not suit up on, well, he did suit up on Sunday, excuse me. He was there, he was active, but he didn't even have his helmet down there on the sidelines, chap. So Blackman was really more of a uh, emergency-only player there in the secondary, and the Colts have the luxury of keeping him on the sidelines because the, the rookie, Rodney Thomas, has, has been very good uh, in his place, has made a couple of nice plays, uh, has always seemed to be in the right place. There, there are plays when, when we've seen Julian in the past just streak toward where the ball is going, and you're, you can't believe that he closed that fast or he's made some big plays at the end of games to seal some wins there his rookie year. Rodney Thomas has not shown to me watching him the range that Julian has go from one place to another quickly, but he always seems to be in the right place. Um, if he's playing single high safety, he's followed the ball well. He's never had to really catch up significantly in the limited action we've seen him. So, I mean, that's that that should be an, an encouragement that he, he knows where to be out there on the field. So and like I've said, he's made enough plays that that the Colts are not uh, not. Uh, forced to, to rush Blackman back on the field and, and stop a leaky secondary because that would be a bad thing. Well, it's going to be a good issue to have when when he's back and ready to play, not emergency, but ready to play. Maybe that's this week. Do you put Blackman back out there and take take? I would, for and, one. And, and, Let me just say that. And take off a player who's been very productive for you. But Blackman, Blackman's just different. He, he, yep. he, he just is. And it's not on the injury report. I mean, it's not injury report related. But that's part, sort of the situation they've got at corner with Isaiah Rodgers and Fashon. It's you want you want to know why Rodgers isn't playing more. So, uh, but but again, it'll be great to get Blackman back. Like I said, they're they're just trending in the right direction, getting healthy, and we'll get into it. This is this is the next biggest game because it's the next game. But we're gonna find out a whole lot about this team Sunday in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, you bring up the the face on Rogers issue, and I know that's been kind of a sounding board uh, recently, just among among Colts fans on Twitter or what have you. Like, I I think that that what both Gus Bradley, defensive coordinator, and head coach Frank Reich said about needing four corners is right. Like, you need corners in this league, and some Chris Bauer has talked about all the time. Uh, you need you need 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 depth at corner, guys that you can rely on. But it it doesn't it doesn't justify. Phase on having more snaps than Rodgers right now because Rodgers played great and we've seen some some mistakes especially in the run game from from phase on it's been clear to see and and to his credit Gus Bradley has recognized that he said yeah there's been some plays where he's missed um but he still needs to keep playing him and uh, he he's he's gotten a full-throated uh defense from from both Bradley and Reich uh for his playing time there uh I would not I don't imagine he is benched at any time but I do imagine chap that Isaiah Rogers continues to see more than 50 percent of those three corner snaps alongside Stephon Gilmore and Kenny Moore yeah the run support was really glaring against Jacksonville one of those long runs he just had bad, he had such a bad angle he never even touched the guy so it's you get your best players on the field and right now, Rodgers is one of their best defensive players, and I think we're going. Like I said, I think we're going to see that more and more, and it'll be good to get this defense back. It's too bad I don't think you know Quiddy Page not ready to go, 
but it's good to see this defense sort of getting its health back. From the Titans' side, uh, four players have been ruled out for this week. Wide receiver Traylon Burks with his toe injury was placed on IR after uh, the Colts game, in fact, a couple weeks ago. Left tackle Taylor Lewan is out for the season with an injury. Uh, edge rusher Harold Landry is out for the season with a knee injury. And their slot corner, uh, Elijah Molden, is also on injured reserve. Uh, was put on injured reserve before the season with a groin. So none of those. Traylon Burks, the only new one from the time that uh, since the Colts played them last. All the other three uh, were, were out for that prior game as well. Um, on Wednesday, two players did not participate in practice for the Titans. Uh, linebacker Zach Cunningham with an elbow injury has not played since week three. Another linebacker, Joe Jones, with a knee injury has not played since week four. Limited in practice, Nate Davis, the guard with a foot, one of their starting guards, hasn't played since week four either, but was limited on the field, so they are hoping to get him back. Uh, full participant in practice included edge rusher Bud Dupree with a hip injury, who has also not played since week four. Safety Imani Hooker with a concussion has not played since week three, also a full participant in practice. So a couple players there, a couple on the defensive side of the ball who, uh, who are impact players for them. They're hoping to get back. So that's where uh, that's where the Titans stand as they get set to take on the Colts um, in Nashville. The Titans are three and two after an zero and two start to the season. Uh, they have won three straight. And one what the, before we get into any of this, let me see if Joe has this, if I can run down this super quickly. Um, I don't see it here. So I'll mention here right at the top. This is a question that I've been asking in the locker room this week in, in relation to this stat over their three wins, their last three games, the Titans have scored touchdowns on 100% of their red zone visits. They get in the red zone, they score a touchdown. Um, it is, the, the number is ludicrous when you look at the rest of the NFL. Overall for the year, they're like 93%, I think. The next closest team in the league is somewhere around 70. It is, it's, like I said, it's ridiculous what they've been able to do, Chap, in the red zone. And, and the Colts defense is going to have to stand tough uh, and and get some field goals in those situations if the Titans do, in fact, uh, drive down that far, um, which uh, they had a couple opportunities against the Colts. Obviously, they converted every one of them because they were in one of those three um, one of those three games that I mentioned that they're 100%. But, but that's uh, the numbers. I always want to point out numbers that jump off the page to me, and that is one that jumped off the page to me. Yeah, that first meeting, they were three for three yep. against the Colts. And, and one, one thing that, that we can point up also is two of those came after Colts turnovers. In in Colts territory, so I, I think it's just kind of the way that the Titans are built. It's just it, it, to have a Derrick Henry down around the the twenty to fifteen yard line is such a weapon because you can throw it to him, you can you can you can run run him with it. So, but that that's again that and that's what the Colts have had trouble with most of the season is finishing in red in the red zone, and you it's it's you there's three or four just no question significant categories you know the the turnover battle on this but red zone when you when, when you leave points on the field i mean how much how often do you always see it comes back and bites you in the rear end almost every time so that, that that's a great stat and you're right it's something that you simply have to find a way to limit the damage when they get down there the Colts have also uh, won two in a row, of course, themselves. Their last loss came to Tennessee, so it's a team on a three-game win streak, a two-game win streak. And the Titans on offense are, have not been anything 
incredibly impressive for this year. They certainly traded away their most dangerous player last offseason in A.J. Brown to Philadelphia. And, and Chap, I think as much as we talk about Derrick Henry in, in these weeks leading up to Titans games, I think the majority of people in the Colts building when they come to the coaching staff or front office or whatever, if they were going to pick one guy that they're worried about on the Titans on offense in particular, it would have been AJ Brown. So, so no one would have celebrated uh, except maybe the fine folks in Philadelphia, AJ Brown's departure more so than the fine folks uh, here in Indianapolis. And that's not to diminish Derrick Henry. No, it's, it's just, it's just that he's he sort of against the Colts. He's sort of been that, He's just that, that hammer that's hitting you, hitting you, hitting you, and it hurts. A.J. Brown has the capabilities of just gashing you, just just really hitting you with that big play. Well, he, he did uh, – was it, it was last year, the game that the Colts were sort of – not in control, but I think, I think they were up 10-3. to 3. I think it was 10-3. to 3. I think it was 14-3. to 3, 14, four, four, Maybe it was 14-3. to 3. And that was the Taekwon Lewis interception and blown Patella. And then, like, the next play was – 60, 50, 60 yards to A.J. Yep. Brown when Xavier Rhodes showed how you how you not tackle people. So it's yeah, I, you're right. It's it's you're always who do who do we limit? Who do we have to really take away? As much as you're aware of Derrick Henry, you're not going to take him away. You're just not A.J. Brown. You always had to know where he was because he could take the top off on a heartbeat. I don't care if Stephon Gilmore's on him and he's playing well. Elite receivers always put a chill in coordinators. And uh, this year, the Tennessee offense has certainly not been super impressive without A.J. Brown. They're 21st in the league in scoring, averaging fewer than 20 points per game. They're 31st in yards per game, 28th in passing, 21st in rushing. Um, they are right in the middle of the pack in sacks allowed, and they don't turn the ball over too much. Seventh fewest, only have six turnovers in their uh, in their five games this year. If there's one thing, chap, that the Titans tend not to do, it's beat themselves. And that's, like I, like I said the other week I hear on the show, like the, the strategy that my dad taught me in ping pong is if you give your opponent enough rope, he'll hang himself. Other teams in the NFL do. The Titans tend not to do that. I just remember back in the Tony Dungy days, he always stressed that more games are lost than won because teams find a way to lose. And for the first part of the season, the Colts have found ways to lose, whether it's the turnovers, whether it's the sacks, whatever it is. And Frank mentioned that on Wednesday that what impresses me most about Tennessee is they don't beat themselves generally. You know, low in turnovers, low in penalties and all that. So you've got to go out there and take it away from them. And that's why hopefully that what the Colts showed last week with no sacks, no turnovers, it's it's sort of a trend. It's just not an aberration because you cannot get by in this league with a careless quarterback and a leaky offensive line. It, it's unsustainable. Uh, as we look for the other side of the ball with the Titans defense. They are 21st in points allowed. They're averaging just over 23 points per game, giving up 28th in yards allowed. So that defense has certainly been leaky at times, particularly against the pass where they are dead last in the NFL and have also allowed the second most passing touchdowns this year with 12 on the air. They're averaging giving up nearly 290 yards per game through the air fifth against the run, but they're allowing four and a half yards per carry. So chap, it's really an, an indication that teams are finding ways to, or they they're trying to attack them through the air through, through that game. And they're just not running the ball quite as much against the Titans. And Hey, the Colts are just coming off their, their most prolific passing game of the season so far. I think it'll be really interesting to see if they come out 
and do some more hurry up like they did. No huddle offense last week. It was effective against Jacksonville because the Titans have shown that they can give up some yards through the air. Maybe that is a matchup that they find favorable once again. We were talking in the press room. It's so interesting on how what we're going to see. I, I Last week, Frank Reich said he was hopeful, wishful thinking that JT would play, and then when he found out he wasn't, was that the result of the 58 passes that they changed the offense, or, or did they plan on going pass-happy with JT getting 10 catches and not Deion Jackson? I don't know. And now if you get both Taylor and Hines back, do you, do you try to get back to who – you you want to be, which is again it's a it's a I don't say power running game, but a running team that can can crack the big plays. Or if you found something with with the pass game, you can't live on fifty passes a game. A game. can't do it. The Colts through their history are like six and twenty five, six twenty five and one counting the Houston game with fifty passes. And Matt Ryan, I think he's he's like four four nine and one with 50 passes it's just too many bad things can go wrong when you throw the ball even when it's a controlled passing game for the most part that they had last week so how do you how do you try to still say stay up tempo and aggressive with the pass game and incorporate reincorporate your top two running backs that's really I'm really curious how they do that yeah, staying up-tempo in the past game is something that Jonathan Taylor spoke to in the locker room this week. I, I asked him, I was like, hey, they, that no huddle worked pretty well last week, and what, what's your experience with it in the past? I asked him if he's had extensive, was the word I used, experience. He kind of threw it back at me. He's like, extensive? Eh. So, like, I, I didn't think that that was the case since he, I mean, he went to college at Wisconsin, for crying out loud. You're not well, going to do a whole lot. Well, yeah. and keep in mind that when in, in since he's been here, when they go up-tempo, a lot of times, end of the half, two-minute, he generally is not on the field. Right. That's Naheem Hines' territory. Now, this is going to be different if they, if you if you go back to last week and you plug him in as a running back. Well, he's out there. He, he just is. He's your best player. And, and he's we, he's shown us, too, that he's a pretty good receiver. Mm-hmm. And if you give him 10 catches in a game like you give Dion, he's going to break some because he's that good. So, uh, it's the, the, the talk with Frank on Monday and Wednesday again was – you know, why not use the no huddle more often? And they're not apt to do that. Part of the problem is, is if you look at the negative side, if you're not successful, you run three plays and your defense is right back on the field. And you put your defense in, in a bad way. But I tell you, in spots, it's effective. Uh, they really, really believe that Matt Ryan is at his best when it's up-tempo, he can get in a rhythm, and sort of take, you know, take a defense apart, whether it's a short stuff to the, to the receivers, to the running backs. He made good use with the tight ends. Kyle Granson had a big game. So what it does, it gives them another weapon. And finally, to get their running, their top runners back. Remember, if I'm not mistaken, Tennessee had an awful run defense in the first game. And the Colts got nothing going. Nothing. Yep. So I, I still think at their core, they want to be a team that's got – 25 carries for 140 yards. But at his core, Frank Reich knows you've got to throw the ball in his league to win. The up-tempo, no huddle, up-tempo, no huddle stuff also requires great communication, which is something that the Colts offense has struggled with at times this year. And it certainly helps you a lot to be at home 
where you can control the crowd noise or control it as, as, as well as you can. And, uh, and they're going to be on the road this week. So there, there, there are reasons to keep doing it. There are reasons not to keep doing it. And it's just up to the coaching staff to find, find the right mix of what works, which players to put in there when you're trying to make it work. Uh, so, yeah, certainly something that, that we will watch going forward. Players to watch from the uh, Tennessee side of the ball this year. Tennessee's uh, Ryan Tannehill, completing 65% of his passes, has seven total touchdowns, three interceptions, averaging less than 200 passing yards per game. But against the Colts, it was enough to just have 137. And he had two touchdowns there, uh, was sacked three times, and, and they got a win. Derrick Henry, averaging 82 yards per game on the ground, seventh in the league, has five rushing touchdowns, averaging less than four yards per carry, but uh, really does uh, have, has been doing better in their three wins than he did earlier in the season, their two losses. Uh, his 10 catches, he's on pace to shatter his, uh, his rec- career-high receiving totals, which is uh, 34 on the year. Um, is something that we talked about last time uh, against Tennessee when we were previewing that matchup that that Henry is being used in the passing game uh, a little bit more often than he has in the past. So you can't just rely on him to, to line up in the backfield. And if he doesn't get the handoff, he's he's not going to do all that much. Um, had back to back hundred yard rushing games, like I said, before the bye. And uh, against the Colts, had a season high in yards per carry. So uh, a chap like I, we talked about AJ Brown earlier, but that uh, in that light that uh, in that light that. Uh, Derrick Henry is is going to get some, is going to get a little bit. Against the Colts, he had a pretty good game, so I think he should probably be pretty confident as, as he enters this weekend, especially off a of bye. He's going to be a little bit more rested, and a, a rested Derrick Henry uh, can can certainly uh, be, be a very effective one. If this game stays close, which probably it will, he's going to get 25 carries, add four or five uh, receptions, because that's who they are. Again, that's when a team trades away its best player in A.J. Brown, it just reinforces this is who we are. So, uh, and again, anytime you play the Titans, it's going to be Terry Kendry. Slow slow him down and, and make Ryan Tannehill prove he can beat you. Occasionally he's had that game, but occasionally he's, he's found ways to put the ball on the ground, interceptions. I'll take my chance with Ryan Tannehill every day over mm-hmm. Derrick Henry. Other side of the ball, playmakers include Jeffrey Simmons on the on the defensive line, the second-team All-Pro last year, has three-and-a-half sacks and three passes defended. And, of course, the former Colt, Danico Autry, had a heck of a game here in Indianapolis in Week 4, had two sacks, forced a fumble. Uh, he's had at least one sack in three straight games, all of those wins, and he leads Tennessee with four sacks on the season. Kevin Byard in the secondary is, uh, is really, really good. He's been a first-team All-Pro a couple times in his career and uh, leads – leads the Titans in both total tackles with 37 and has one interception this year as well. So names that you will certainly see on the other side of the ball as the Colts take on the Titans this weekend in Tennessee game at one o'clock PM broadcast in central Indiana on CBS four Joe's keys to the game. Uh, Joe cannot be with us today, but he nevertheless gave us his keys and his prediction for the game. So we'll talk uh, the keys first. Uh, Number one is to take care of the football. The Colts had uh, three turnovers chap in that first meeting. And like you said, two of them were were right there. They basically handed Tennessee some points. You cannot expect uh, the Titans to beat themselves. You typically don't. Uh, at least so uh, you, you you don't want to beat yourselves and and just give them what they did was they they just dug themselves a hole the Colts did in that first game they allowed Tennessee to get out to that big lead in the first half and it proved to be too much for for Matt Ryan the offense to overcome late in the fourth quarter you got to try to avoid that this time around yeah because again again the first two turnovers like one was at the 28 and one was at the 32 
two touchdowns. They're too good for that. They're too good to, to, to hand, you know, gift them points in, in possessions like that. And, again, Matt Ryan has always talked about it would be nice to see what we can do if we play a, quote, clean game. For the most part, the Jacksonville game was pretty clean. Now, it's he was hit, and there were a couple of near turnovers. But that's – we saw what they can do when when they do – when they don't spend too much time beating themselves, so it's 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 the still the probably it's the one it's the most incon- or consequential stat win the turnover battle, and you like your chances. Now the Colts had no turnovers last week against Jacksonville and were able to score a career high thirty season high rather thirty four points, and it was certainly helped by the offensive line as well. Joe's second key to the game: the offensive line needs to keep its sustained improvement. Matt Ryan was not sacked at all against Jacksonville last week. Finally, at long last, uh, they had given up multiple sacks, the Colts had, in all five games before that this season. Uh, 42 of 58 was Matt's uh, final line, 389 yards, three touchdowns. Um, so, so a lot of things to be happy about with the passing game. Run game still needed some work, but at the same time, you didn't have Jonathan Taylor or Naeem Hines back there. So as much as Deion Jackson, you can be you can be proud of his performance. You could be happy that he had 10 catches. You could love his uh, his uh, his run for the touchdown that that earned him the uh, the angry run, the scepter from from Kyle Brandt. You know, you get that's something that, that, that pumps you up. But nevertheless, um, that that run game chap still is is not what the Colts had envisioned earlier this year. And they, I'd imagine, are going to try to get a little bit back toward that, uh, if not this week, then in the very immediate future. Yeah, they're, they're near the bottom of the league in rushing and in yards per attempt. And since that 161-yard game that Taylor had in the opener, they're averaging like, is it 55 yards a game and 3.3 a carry? I haven't done the math, it, but it, that it, sounds it, about it's, right. It's just not very good. And, again, that's not the way this team's built. And one thing on the protection, 58 attempts and zero sacks, it was, that's, the, that's the best in, in franchise history. It's like the 11th best in NFL history. Uh, but I went back and watched the game. He got nailed four or five times. He just got, I mean, so, so there's still pressure. So they got to clean that up. And it'll be very interesting to see what they do on the offensive line, whether they're going to leave – Still rotation at left tackle, I doubt. I think Dennis Kelly now's the left tackle. Like I said, the Bernhard Ryman era lasted, you know. Two drives. About like the British Prime Minister, I guess. Ah, <laughs> chap bringing in current events to the show. I love it. So, uh, and again, rotating your left tackle is not a good idea. If you're rotating left tackle, you got issues. So hopefully they, they, they need to, they've, they've found something they can go with with prior at right guard. Braden Smith back at right tackle and run the ball. We're not the only way we see fifty-eight passes again is if this game gets out twenty-four to three again. Uh, but but they've got to get something that resembles balance, and I'm talking sixty-forty pass run. But uh, the offensive line was encouraged, encouraging. I need to see it again. Joe's third key to the game, limit Derrick Henry against uh, four Tennessee's start to the season when they were 0-2. Henry averaged only three yards per carry, only scored one touchdown. During their three-game winning streak, he's seen some more success, averaging better than four yards per carry, has four touchdowns, has all 10 of his catches in, in those games, so they got him involved out of the backfield. Um, in week two in particular, the, the Bills really negated Henry by getting out to a big lead. 
with um, he only had 13 carries that week, which which Chap has been a difference for the Colts this year. They were a strong first quarter team a year ago. They scored on a good amount of first drives. I think they were top five in the NFL in first quarter points total last year. They're they have not yet scored a point on a first drive of this this season. It has been one thing that is very different um, for for whatever reason. Um, and, and they could they could certainly use a few points early in order to put some more pressure on Tennessee early on in this game for sure. Well, it's eight straight now. It goes back to the last two games last year, so it's eight straight right. games without a, without a first drive with points. And again, just set the tone, especially on the road. Go on the road because the last time they did it was at uh, against Arizona. It just it doesn't take the the the, the home team or the home crowd out of it, but it just gives them a little pause. So I think, again, if you want to sort of establish something in Nashville, get out to a decent start in field goals, whatever, get some points on the board, and don't give the uh, home, home crowd a reason to be even more nasty towards you. Since 1951, Hancock Health has been centered around you. And now, as a member of the Mayo Clinic Care Network, our services are amplified by the world leader in medicine. We were selected by Mayo Clinic because of our commitment to caring for East Central Indiana. Now, our local experts are taking that commitment further by consulting with Mayo Clinic specialists and working together to make health possible. Learn more at HancockHealth.org slash Mayo Clinic. Predictions for this week. FanDuel has the Colts underdogs in Tennessee. Tennessee favored by two and a half points. Uh, the over-under set at 42, so they're predicting something along the lines of a 22-20 to 20 ball game right around there. Uh, Joe's prediction for this week is a Colts victory, a 27-24 win down in Tennessee to take over first place in the AFC South and then humming along for the rest of the season. Uh, Chap, I'll go first, and then you can wrap us up. Um, this game is one that I've kind of gone a little bit back and forth on, but I've been leading Tennessee for the most part the entire time. I don't see a reason to change that right now. With the Titans coming off a bye, they're well-rested. The Colts, even though they did beat the Jaguars last week, they did so in a manner that I don't think is sustainable. So it was it was a good one-time showing, but I, I don't say I, I don't look at that game and say that I think you can build on some things, but I don't think they're building on huge um team-changing philosophies from that win when it comes to specifically the like the, the no huddle. I don't think that's going to be consistent for the rest of the year. So, so what they were able to capture last week, I just don't know if they're going to be able to bring it into this week. And uh, when you look at what they've been the entire season, when I look at... when I, If you just look at last week, it's easy to say, hey, they're going to get some momentum, they're going to go on the road, and, and that's a good reason to, to, to believe in them. I don't, I don't really hold that philosophy. I'm kind of looking more back toward the season as a whole, seeing where they have struggled and seeing specifically how they struggled against Tennessee before. If the Titans can, can kind of get, get in their heads like they seem to be, forcing turnovers, scoring early, getting on top quickly, um, then uh, I don't think the Colts will be able to keep up again. My final has the, Col- has the Tennessee Titans winning 23-16 to 16, uh, in Tennessee. So that was my pick for this game. Chap, why don't you finish us off with your prediction? Yeah, I've got 24-21 Tennessee. Uh, and, but I'm not, I've am not. i said this, I won't be surprised if the Colts win it because I don't think Tennessee is what they used to be. But I, I, I just, I, I'm kind of, I, and I base that on what you said. I don't know how what the Colts did last week 
carries over to what you can do this week because that's not who they are. It's who they can be on occasion, but I just don't think they can they they can sustain being so heavy on the pass. And if they're gonna, I think they're gonna try to get back to who they want to be, who they think they need to be with a run game. And we've not seen that happen. We, we've not seen that happen since since the Houston game. So, yeah, twenty four twenty one. One thing to keep in mind: Tennessee's won four straight, and they're four zero coming out of the bye with Mike Vrabel, which means something. It it just means something. Uh, so yeah, I. I what this game could do to the Colts moving forward with a couple more winnable games coming up, Washington, I think New England's coming up. Uh, this game won't put them out of it at all with the, the, the division. All that, all now you, you are chasing Tennessee. I just think until they prove otherwise, I just think Tennessee has too much for them. We do appreciate you all listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. You can find us online on Google Play, Stitcher, uh, wherever you probably found it already. Congratulations. You can subscribe to us, get us delivered to your podcast listening device week after week. Follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone for news and notes, especially when it regards to the injury report, which will be updated as we go on this week. Follow Mike Chappell at mchappell51. Get his work online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. I'm Dave Griffiths at Dave G underscore sports. We appreciate you listening and we will see you next week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. 